Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Here we go now, time to go now. Can't stop, no, not now. Maybe you'll see what you can be. No, don't stop, not now. Each stone you pass is just one class and there's miles ahead. Pick up your speed, it's what you need. You can stay in bed. Now you've got it. A racy start to Jazz Shapers Day. That was Milestones from Mark Murphy, a Miles Davis original, of course. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers. Thank you very much for joining me. Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My business shaper today is Nigel Chapman. He is the founder of the beautiful group of hotels called the Luxury Family Hotels Group, and they include Woolly Grange, Ickworth and Moonfleet Manor. I've been to one of those at least, and I promise they are brilliant, and you'll be hearing lots from him about just how brilliant they are and how he made them so. In addition to hearing from Nigel, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business, and on top of all of that, if you can take it, some fantastic music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Takuya Kuroda, Bill Withers, and this classic from Ella Fitzgerald, it's Manhattan. Summer journeys to Niagara and to other places aggravate all our cares. We'll save our fares. I've a cozy little flat in what is known as Old Manhattan. The mellifluous Manhattan from none other than Ella Fitzgerald. This is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. And my business shaper today, as I build earlier, is Nigel Chapman. He's the founder of the Luxury Family Hotels Group. And I mentioned some fantastic names, Willie Grange, Ickworth, Moonfleet Manor. He's also an, an investor and set up the beautiful Martinel Resort over in Portugal, I should know, because I've been there too. I sound like I'm always travelling, but I'm not, I promise. Nigel, thank you very much for joining me. Tell me, what gave you the bug to set up uh, your own business in, in the wonderful world of hotels? Where did the idea come from? Uh, uh, 1988, 89 was the, the first hotel, wasn't it? Well, um, my background is that I'm an accountant, and my, um, my first office was uh, about 100 metres from where we're sitting now. And uh, like most accountants, I had a dream. <laughs> um, and in this particular case, the dream was to open a hotel. Uh, and the idea actually came from a stay that I had in an Irish hotel called Ballymaloo House, County Cork. And I first went there in 1977. And I went back year after year, gradually getting more and more entranced by the place. And eventually announced to my wife one day that I'd made an offer on a manor house in Wiltshire and we were selling our house and moving in. This is quite radical stuff. I mean, I know accountants have dreams. I hear they do. I'm, I'm, I know they're in, somewhere in those incredibly clever and logical left brain minds. There's also dreams and right brain thoughts. But to jump from the dream and the place of safety and security to your own business and the hotel business, an incredible leap. What made you think that you'd be able to pull it off? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I suppose um, accountants are practical people, but they also do have this mad streak, many of them. And uh, I guess the mad streak led me into the, the world of hotels. What, what's really nice about the hotel industry is that you're looking after people 24-7 and you have the opportunity to kind of influence their lives for a much longer period of time. And if you think about what you're doing as an accountant, which is a great job, of course, um, this is much more creative and interesting. 
And to be absolutely honest, at the time, it was an investment idea as well. Uh, we might talk a bit about timing later on, because we opened the first hotel in 89, which could have been a worse time. Um, and having moved the wife and kids into the hotel uh, on day one, and having sold the family house with interest rates uh, started to climb and climb. Some of it was at 19% by the time we got there. Um, we were, yeah, we, we kind of had our uh, the water up to our noses and maybe even slightly beyond our noses at the time. So yeah, it was probably mad, a mad jump, but no regrets. Now we're going to come. We are going to talk about timing in a bit. Um, I just want to quickly ask you though. Now, how many how many hotels are in the in the stable? We've got eight. Eight We've hotels, eight. and there has been a journey which we can also cover in yes. terms of you had eight, then you had none, then you've got eight, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Stay with me for some fascinating stuff from my business shaper, Nigel Chapman, who decided one day to not just follow the dream, but to actually really make it happen, and boy, has he done that. Time for some music. This is the fantastic Takuya Kuroda with Green and Gold. That was the distinctive sound of Takuya Kuroda, the trumpeter, with green and gold. Nigel Chapman's my business shaper today. He's the founder of the Luxury Family Hotels Group, lots of them, eight now. Um, the accountant with a dream. I, mean, I, think, I feel like I'm in some sort of uh, Accountants Anonymous group, and you've just come clean on the fact that accountants do have dreams, which is good to know. When you moved the family, and as you said, you know, lock, sock and barrel, you'd sold the house... You'd obviously done the numbers, and I often ask this question, how had you worked out that you could survive for a period of time without income to the level that you might want it? You alluded to the 19% interest rates, which there were around the late 80s. I remember those as a sort of teenager, <laughs> and my family going, you know, like many families going through some difficult times. You didn't just do that, you set up a business. What were those first few months Actually, and years like? Yeah, I mean, step one was to take a derelict manor house and turn it into a hotel. Which is a project in itself. That was a project, and I rather conceitedly thought that we could do it in six months, during which time I think we nearly drove ourselves mad and also probably nearly went bust. So actually, step one was trying to bring the development of the of the house into a hotel within any sort of manageable budget, and of course it went over budget, as as it did. So when you say, how did we work out how we were going to survive while we built the business up? Well, the answer was probably not quite well enough at the time. Uh, obviously, 25 years later, it's a bit different. But then I guess the optimism was a triumph of practicality. And did you, I mean, and, and optimism's fine and you've done it. You can look back and say it worked. But at that point, were you just borrowing money left, right and centre? Is it as simple as that? Or did you have other investors? You have to helped? have faith when you're doing something like this. <laughs> you have to have faith. And I had a burning passion to make it work. And if you haven't got that, then you're never going to be able to survive and you're never going to be able to find the money to carry on. So somehow or other, you scrape everything together and you keep going. Um, and as I say, we were in it up to our noses and uh, living there three actually four soon four young children all under eight all living there thinking it was wonderful so we had to kind of make a go of it we didn't really have an option and that's not a bad place to be when you're in business actually is you have your back against the wall and actually that sorts out the sheep from the goats and when did you realize that you were indeed going to be a successful sheep at what point did the business start <laughs> to turn a profit and you went you know what this is the best thing i've ever done 
How long did that take? I think those are two separate questions, actually. (laughs) We actually opened the doors in May 1989. Couldn't have been a worse time, really. Everything was just falling off off the cliff. Uh, And the first couple of years was incredibly tough, incredibly difficult, but very exciting. Opening a hotel business from scratch, first time you've ever done anything like that. People come, as they say. And, uh, and, and, and suddenly we found that the concept that we'd thought about putting together, which I have to say was radical, because in those days, country house hotels were places where um, well-off couples went and uh, spent a weekend pretending to be visitors, or sorry, guests in a country house, whereas we were actually inviting families, and that was considered to be uh, venturing into very deep water as, as far as the establishment was concerned. So we were, we were actually definitely going against established wisdom at the time um so actually it took mm, a couple of years before we began to make any headway and probably the first of my gray hairs of which i now have a few um and uh fortunately that's when the fourth child arrived so i guess it had some benefits stay with me for much more from my business shaper nigel chapman <laughs> and hear about how optimism has indeed prevailed and it's done rather well too latest travel in a couple of minutes and before that some words of wisdom for your burgeoning business idea you need to believe in it from what nigel said from our program partners at mishkondare Hello, my name is Darville Walsh. I'm a partner in the contentious banking and finance practice at Mishkondorea. I specialise in banking disputes, predominantly working for borrowers or customers who have issues with their banks or difficulties with their banks. Two practical tips I would give to all customers who engage with their banks are one, firstly, when starting a relationship with a bank, Uh, particularly when securing funding, it's absolutely critical for borrowers to get professional help, whether it's from accountants or lawyers, to ensure that the terms of any lending are not very, very disadvantageous from the borrower's perspective and advantageous from the perspective of the bank. A second tip I would give to all customers or borrowers dealing with banks is to take notes of all sorts of communications or any engagement with the bank. In some cases, people have good relationships with their relationship manager and it can be relatively informal. So a lot can be done on the phone. In any situation where the bank gives an undertaking or makes a promise and that is communicated by a relationship manager over the phone, that should be documented by the borrower slash customer so that if there is a situation in the future where there is a dispute about that, that record can be produced and it can remove all doubt as to what was or wasn't agreed. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning I get to meet and talk to an entrepreneur, someone who has made it in the world of business, someone who, as Nigel Chapman, my business shaper today was talking about, has ensured that optimism uh, has indeed prevailed um, in spite of all the odds, it sounds like. If you do miss any, have missed any of the previous programmes, then um, iTunes is your destination. There's lots in there. And if you're on a British Airways flight, you can also catch a few of my favourites on there too. Nigel, we were talking about those first few years. We were talking about the fact the budget went over. Of course it did. And boy, did you know how to keep the budget because you're an accountant by trade. We haven't yet talked about the the nub of the idea, which was essentially a brilliant place for families to stay. You have uh, you had then a young family. Now it's obviously an older family. What was it that made you think it could work, in spite of the fact it was the the second worst recession at that point of the century? Where did that idea come from that that families deserved a really fantastic and high end break as well? Well, I think first thing to say is 
I didn't know we were headed into a recession at the time, as my wife uh, reminds me now and again. Uh, what happened is that most of these hotels that were opened up in the 70s and 80s, particularly in the 80s, they tended to turn their um, stable blocks and those, those kind of ancillary accommodation into conference centres. And we looked at our coach house and went, no, we're going to turn this into a creche. Uh, we're going to specialise in children. We've got our own young children to look after, so why don't we just expand the facility and allow our guests to use it so that when they come and stay, they can leave their kids in the den, as it was called, for a while and have a bit of grown-up time together and the kids can enjoy themselves uh, with other children, which is actually the other main factor is that the moment people walk in the door of the hotel and they realise that there's families with other kids running around, chilling out, that's actually the magic. But the key at the time was having a crash where people could leave their children for a bit and go off and read a newspaper or fall asleep in front of the fire or something else. Now, the, the, the places are beautiful. I've been, as I said, to a couple and one in the UK. You can't buy taste. You obviously have, and I, I don't know many accountants that would have profess to do this, you either have a great team around you or you have taste yourself. Where, where does it come from? What would you say is the secret to delivering a lovely suite of hotels with nice art, with the right kind of brickwork, with attention to detail that, that I and many other people would notice? Yes, well, that's a good question, and I've got to thank my wife for that, Heather, because she was the one who drew the lines around my fantasy and turned it into reality uh, at the time that we were doing the first hotel. And actually, if you go back to Woolley today, you'll find that it looks and feels very similar to how it did when we first opened it 25 years ago. Obviously, it's moved on a bit, but I think if you walk through the door, there's still the same pictures on the wall, still the same feel, still the same fire burning in the grate. In fact, the same black leather sofas that we opened with 25 years ago, though I have to say it's a replacement set of the same same thing that were donated to us by a guest. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think, you know, we try to create a kind of a home from home, which is more than home, obviously, but it's still a home from home. And that look, look and feel, as we would call it, uh, is, um, is, some, is something that uh, comes from the heart. Stay with me for more from my business shaper, Nigel Chapman. Time for some more music. This is one of my favourites. It's Mr Bill Withers with Lovely Day. When I wake up in the morning, love Sunlight hurts my eye. That was lovely day and Bill Withers uplifting, I think. Nigel Chapman's my business shaper. Nigel, we've been talking about taste and we've been talking about your wife and it sounds like you've obviously made a good team over the years. Um, you mentioned something earlier which intrigues me and, and not everyone would want to do this. You said the idea of serving people, the idea of having guests there 24-7 appealed to you. Most people that aren't in the hotel business would say, I don't want to be in the business because I know I'm going to have to look after them. What is it that makes you feel good about looking after people and all the different idiosyncrasies that come with that and the demands and so on? Doesn't it stress you out? That's what distinguishes people who work in the business and people who don't or people who are successful in the business. They do get a buzz from giving other people a good time. And I think over the years, and I have to say, I'm not as hands-on as I used to be, but I certainly spent the first seven or eight years being very hands-on. It's that uh, 
human spirit of looking after other people, what, what I suppose you would call hospitality, and it either turns you on or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, you shouldn't be in the industry. Has that come from anywhere? Is, that, is there somewhere in your past the way that you've seen that, apart from the experience you had as an adult? Is it a childhood thing where you just you knew what it was from a young age, or have you learnt on the job, as it were, or learnt just prior to the job? Was it, was it the excitement of going to the hotel every year that you've described before? We always used to give good parties. Even when I was an accountant, my accountancy firm used to give extremely good parties. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I guess, in a way, you wouldn't say it grew out of the parties that we gave, but it certainly grew out of the buzz that you get from people enjoying themselves. So, yeah, I guess it kind of grew progressively over a period of time. And the ultimate expression was yeah, selling the family home and opening a hotel uh, in, a, in a format that was considered at the time to be pretty risky. Now, on top of the, the, the softer side, and the softer side is the key to the delivery, obviously, in your business, you're a, a steely businessman. You have sold your business once for a very significant amount. That business, the people that bought the business didn't do so well. And in fact, you bought your business back and you've grown again. That's unusual in, a, in, a, in an entrepreneur's journey. Often they start one thing, they sell one thing, they start another. What's it been like? What was it like getting back your babies? <laughs> as you, I think you, as you have described it, I think. Yes, I have described it like that, and other people have described it like that as well. I think the the first thing to say is that we went from Woolly Grange, which was the first hotel, to build up a group of four hotels, and I did it with a, a actually a proper hotelier, a chap called Nicholas Dickinson, who became my business partner, um, and he and I shared a vision. And we built up the original luxury family hotels one at a time, very, very carefully, trying to find with each hotel something new to offer to the market, maybe older children, more activities, seaside um, venue, that kind of thing. And then the last one we opened was Ickworth, which was a beautiful, grand, grade one listed building, which we did in partnership with the National Trust. So it was a, a very considered path. And, and I have to say that it wasn't necessarily my ambition to uh, sell. But uh, one day, uh, a fairly well-known character landed on the lawn of one of our hotels in a helicopter with a big checkbook, um, which he did to quite a lot of people at the time. And we talked about it and felt that it was in the interests of our, our, our interests. And also, of course, we had outside shareholders by then. And between us, we decided it was the best thing to do. So actually, somewhat reluctantly, I have to say personally, we sold. And that was, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a brilliant time. We're going to come back um, in a bit and talk about what happened when they sold, because it isn't, as you can tell, the end of the particular story. That's come up in a moment. Um, you'll also be hearing uh, the blues harmonica of Rob Paparazzi. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs> was work song from Rob Paparazzi, the harmonica player, and the Ed Palermo big band in the background as well, and in the foreground quite a lot too. Nigel Chapman's my business shaper, and um, we've been talking about all sorts of things. We got to the point where you sold your business because you thought that was the right thing to do for you and your shareholders. You then ended up buying it back again. 
which is an unusual situation, I, I imagine. When you realised this was back on the cards, was there a, a frisson? Was there a sense of excitement? Or was there a sense of, I always knew this would happen? <laughs> I knew they'd come back to me. <laughs> well, having spent so many years building up a small but very carefully chosen group of hotels for a particular market, which we were immensely proud of, it was, um, yeah, it was... It was a sad thing to do to part company because I felt that we still had unfinished business there. So clearly we kept our eye on the company that uh, that brought us out. And uh, as, 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 as you know, some years later, well, actually a few years later now, they um, got themselves into some difficulties and all the hotels that they accumulated came back to the market. So we had the opportunity to yeah, go in and pick them back up again and carry on with what was, to me, unfinished business. And that's what we're working through now. So the radical idea that was back in the late 80s that became a reality, you still feel like you're in at the forefront of that. Are you still looking to innovate? Are you still looking to say, yes, the core of the idea is right, it's about families, it's about luxury, but I'm going to be doing different and more stuff. Is that what's going on for you right now? Yeah, that's, that's, a, really good, that's a really good point, actually, because, of course, over the 25 years... Uh, there's there's been at least one generation and people have changed and and if you ask me what those changes are i would give you an example which um which is yeah interesting families used to arrive on a friday night maybe it's uh they arrive in the dark it's raining they give the kids their tea they give them a bath put them to bed get some nice clothes on come down and have dinner together um and you know, get up the next morning and have breakfast but the point about it is that mum and dad would have had some grown-up time together and the kids would have been packed off to bed. Nowadays, that family may well sit and eat together and have what we call family dining, and they will dine as a family because the quality time that parents want with their children is actually in some ways possibly rarer than it used to be. I don't, I'm not fully sure why it's changed, but it's definitely changed to the extent that people want to spend more time with their children and do more with their children than they used to. So in terms of where we're going, yeah, we're headed in the direction of parents doing more with their children, not just eating, obviously, but also activities uh, and yeah, spending, spending time with the family. Now, you seem a very calm person who's running a very busy business, um, and I'm imagining you have always been pretty calm. When things haven't been so calm, where have you gone for advice? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, first port of call is always, always the wife. Um, we've always shared our business ups and downs together, so we, yeah, we cheer everything over. And you um, still have quality time with your wife as well, in, in spite of always discussing or many, many often discussing work. Well, that's an interesting uh, philosophical point. Do you talk about work? at all or none and I guess it's one or the other and in our case we always shared everything so that's how we do it um, The business right now um, and I, uh, just before I'm going to ask you about your song choice the business right now and your view of the hotel business is this a good time for hoteliers is this, is this a ripe time is it any different from the way it was 25 years ago will the winners still be the optimists it's a, Well hopefully you've got to be an optimist uh, to make a success of any business otherwise how on earth can you pull everyone behind you. These days we have seven or eight hundred people working with us and hundreds of thousands of guests. Obviously it's a slightly different business than it used to be when we first started out all those years ago. But you still need that sense of optimism. But no, I think it's a very interesting time. It's a time of change. There's nothing like a a long period of um, 
suppose not exactly hardship, but pressure to make everybody respond to changes. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And as long as you people want to serve and 24-7, as you said, they're, they're, they're guests, then they, this is a business for them. And if they don't, don't do it. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, the hotel business has been described as a drug, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but it, once you're hooked, you're hooked. Well, listen, Nigel, thank you so much for spending some time with me. It sounds like you are indeed hooked and doing rather well being hooked. So <laughs> congratulations. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, well, I, I first saw this lady um, at Live Aid, and she managed to uh, captivate the whole of Wembley Stadium. And I suddenly thought, gosh, this is amazing. And I listened to her to sing this song. And I kind of followed her career ever since. Quite a difficult thing to do because she's pretty shy. But I caught up with her at the O2 uh, a couple of years ago and she blew me away. So the song choice is Smooth Operator by Sade. Well, here it is. And thank you very much again. smooth operator from Sade, the song choice of my business shaper today, Nigel Chapman, an opportunity spotter, someone who saw that there was a place for a luxury family hotel offering. The accountant with the dream, the man who took the numbers and made it into some kind of beautiful reality, and someone most importantly in the hotel business that believed and cared and loved to care for his guests 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Fantastic stuff. Do join me again next Saturday morning for another edition of Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM. In the meantime, though, stay with us because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.